0: I invite you to turn to John chapter 10 if you brought your Bible this morning. We always encourage you to bring your Bible. Uh, For the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. These are statements that Jesus made about himself that helped to Help us understand who he is and who he is for us. We're calling this series Portraits of Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at two of Jesus' statements, I am the good shepherd and I am the door of the sheep, because both of them appear in our text for today. So let's read John 10, it's the first 18 verses. Jesus says, Truly, 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 If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There are seven I Am statements In the Gospel of John, and each one communicates something important about our Savior. There are seven statements. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. The idea of shepherding and sheep was a familiar idea, a familiar concept to those who were listening to Jesus because many of them had lived in an agrarian or agricultural lifestyle. There were many sheep, many shepherds, and this is a subject I know a lot about growing up in Lindhurst and Pepper Pike. Uh, This is something I know. Uh, what side of a sheep has the most wool? The outside. Right? Yes, you learned something in church today. So the picture of Jesus as our good shepherd is a, a really wonderfully comforting image for us. And, I, and I, if I were to ask you how, for a show of hands, maybe I'll just do that. How many of you thought of Psalm 23? It's such a tender and loving picture of God's good and caring leadership of his spiritual children and our intimate relationship with him. He says this, the psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Such a beautiful picture of the relationship we have with this great shepherd. And the idea of the people of God are sheep didn't originate with John in chapter 10. God's chosen people are called his sheep. And the Lord, the shepherd of the flock, has been used, that imagery has been used for, for centuries. We see it in Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us. And we are his. we are His people and the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 77:20, "You led your, your people like a flock. And here we see Jesus calling himself the good shepherd. He's the perfect shepherd. He's the exemplary shepherd. He's the, the only true shepherd worth following. So what makes him so good? What makes him such a good shepherd? That's the question for this morning. What makes him the shepherd that we should follow with every part of our being for every day that we live on this earth? What makes him so trustworthy as a shepherd? Let's look at six ways in our text for this morning that Jesus is the good shepherd. Number one, Jesus is the true shepherd. Jesus is the true shepherd. Starting at verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. So here we have a picture of a sheepfold. This is a large sheep pen that would have held flocks of sheep from more than one family. This would have been a large uh, independent enclosure. It was often surrounded by a wall, and the way into that sheepfold was through a gate or a door. There was one door into the sheepfold, and the gate- gatekeeper would know who the legitimate shepherds were because he would help them get the, the sheep into the sheepfold. He would know that shepherd, he would know who the legitimate shepherds are, and he would recognize their identity um, and those that would enter the right way through the gate or through the door. But we see in Scripture that that, that there were good shepherds, there were bad shepherds. There were good shepherds that would do all the things that were necessary to properly care for the sheep and to protect them, care for their needs. And then there were shepherds who were just hired hands who, who weren't that invested in the sheep. And there were those who were just bad or abusive shepherds. And in the the Bible, we see this language of shepherding used for spiritual leadership of God's people, God's flock. And there were good shepherds and bad shepherds. And the bad ones, it's not like they just, you know, like weren't very good at it or they were just kind of rookies or they just made a few mistakes. These were bad shepherds who were fleecing the sheep and abusing the sheep and serving only themselves. And back in Old Testament days, God harshly rebuked the bad shepherds of Israel who didn't care for God's flock, God's chosen people, and were out for themselves. It was a harsh rebuke. Listen to what he says in Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel says, starting in verse 1, The the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have who have been feeding yourselves? Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or to seek for them. It's such a stinging rebuke of these spiritual leaders. And a huge warning to spiritual leaders today. God says that these are his sheep. These are mine. This is my flock. Care for my flock. And he says because of their failure, he's going to be the good shepherd. He's going to be the one to protect the sheep and to feed the sheep, to care for the sheep with justice. And then he's going to put exemplary human shepherds in place who will care for them like he does and will point them back to the chief shepherd. And we see in John chapter 9, the chapter just before our text for today, another example of bad shepherds. This whole um, picture that Jesus gives us is all in the same conversation here. It's a situation where there was a man that was born blind. He was blind from birth. And Jesus miraculously heals him on this, and gives him sight on the Sabbath day. It's such a wonderful act of love and compassion for this to heal this man. And, and it was a sign that pointed to the reality that this is the Messiah, this is the one who is going to give sight to the blind. But the Pharisees and the so-called shepherds of Israel didn't like this at all. They had zero compassion for this man who was born blind and who was healed. Number one, Jesus healed him on the Sabbath, which in their interpretation of the law was a violation of Jewish law. And number two, it was Jesus who healed him. They felt threatened by Jesus. They didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So in verse 22, it says the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And that's what they did to this blind man. In verse 34, it says they cast him out of the synagogue for being associated with Jesus. Bad shepherds. Abusive shepherds, blind shepherds. The man born blind now sees, and the bad shepherds who cast him out became blind. And Jesus is saying that he is the good shepherd. He's the true shepherd of the sheep. He's the final fulfillment of this picture of the shepherd of his people. He has the supreme authority as God, Lord, creator and sustainer of life, redeemer, and the true shepherd of Israel a true shepherd of his flock, his people. He has the only legitimate claim on the ultimate safety and the salvation of the sheep. Jesus isn't like the thieves and the robbers that jump over the side of the wall and try to take advantage of the sheep. That's not Jesus. That's not his shepherding style. There is one true shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ. The second reason he's the good shepherd is because he doesn't lead you like a harsh taskmaster. Number two, Jesus leads you in relationship. Jesus leads you in relationship. I'll spend a bit more time on this particular point. Look at the second part of verse 3. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Isn't that a wonderful intimate picture. It's such a level of intimacy when somebody knows your name, right? It's familiar. There's a, there's a relationship. But think about what Jesus is saying here. You know, you're not just part of the human race to Jesus. You're not just part of some crowd that Jesus heard about. You're not just a number like in the mass of humanity, If you are his child through faith in Christ, the Son of God who spoke the universe into existence, the sustainer of all things, the redeemer of mankind, the savior of the world, knows you. He knows your name. Isn't that incredible? For some of us, it would be the coolest thing ever if a celebrity that we admired knew us and knew our name. Taylor Swift knows me. (laughs) But Jesus doesn't just know your name. He knows everything about you. Everything. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your past. He knows what you're going through. He knows every thought. The good ones and the ugly ones. And he still loves you. He knows you by name and he calls you by name. There's a general call of Scripture in Scripture about the call of the gospel. That's a general call. Everybody, listen to the gospel. Everybody in this room, you'll hear the gospel. There's a general call, but then there's an effectual call that saves, that goes out to you as an individual person. That the Holy Spirit uses that general gospel call in your life. Jesus knew you and chose you before the foundation of the world, it says in Ephesians 1. God draws you. The Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. The Holy Spirit points you to the truth of the gospel. He opens your spiritual eyes so that you would embrace the Savior and saves your soul and adopts you into God's family, into his sheepfold. And God is now your father, you're his child. He leads you in relationship. Notice how he leads us in verse 4. He says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. He doesn't lead like sheep herders in the West who would get out the sheep herding dogs and send the dogs out around behind the sheep and bark at their heels and get them to push out into into the pasture. He doesn't push you. He doesn't drag you. Jesus leads as a loving, caring shepherd from the front, and he calls to you, and you follow him. We hear his voice. Sheep have a a remarkable ability to learn their shepherd's voice. They, They hear his voice on a regular basis. They learn the nuances of his voice, the character of his voice, and they follow him, and they start to associate That voice, that shepherd, with providing for their safety and their well being and their feeding and their protection. And they follow that voice. And if they hear some other voice, they won't follow that shepherd. That's not my shepherd. And the sheep have a dire need for leadership, they need the shepherd. Sheep have no sense of direction. Who can relate to that? Which way? I read a story this week about this from the BBC from 2005. In eastern Turkey, about 1,500 unattended sheep fell off a cliff while the shepherds were eating breakfast far away from the flock. The first 400 fell to their death in a ravine. But the remaining 1,100 were saved because the, f- the first 400 broke their fall. The sheep in the back couldn't see past the sheep in the front, so they were unaware of what was ahead. So the sheep in the front couldn't stop because the sheep in the back were pushing them on. And off they go off the cliff boom, boom, boom. Can you imagine 1,500 sheep? You would think the last row would be like, hey, put on the brakes here. Man, sheep aren't very smart. It's pathetic. It's a pathetic picture. They're not very smart, but God, of course, made us higher than the sheep, right? We are higher creations than the sheep. But we're kind of like sheep, aren't we? We're not always so smart either. I mean, we can be so easily led to follow others into all kinds of dangerous beliefs and philosophies and heresies. Happens every day. The prophet Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've returned everyone to his own way. We need someone to save us from ourselves. We need a reliable and faithful shepherd. We need the leadership of Jesus. And we hear his voice and we follow him. We follow Jesus as our shepherd because we know he's good. We know that he loves us. We know that he saved us. We know that he is trustworthy. We follow him because we know he will never lead us astray. We follow him because he will always lead us according to his perfect goodness and his perfect will. He will always lead us in his perfect love and perfect wisdom, even when he leads us into places that are uncomfortable and maybe even dangerous. And we know that he is always, always right there with us. Psalm 23, 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We are comforted in our souls when we know that our Savior walks with us through the valley. He's empowering you. He's enabling you by His grace. He's strengthening you. Listen to this caring, tender picture in Isaiah 40 verse 11 it says he will tend his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs in his arms he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young Isn't That beautiful so how does jesus lead you how does he do that well there's all kinds of ways but here's four ways the main way that jesus leads you is through his word and we've been looking at that over the last several weeks in psalm 19 The Scripture is the revealed will of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And when we read it and study it, we learn the mind of God. We learn the will of God. We learn to recognize the voice of God in the Scriptures. The Scriptures are God's voice in written form. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He leads us through his word. The second way he leads you is through the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit leads you mainly by bringing verses and principles of Scripture to your mind in various situations. He leads you through convicting you of sin when you stray and prods you toward righteousness. He points you back to Jesus. Paul said that this kind of leading is is part of being a Christian. He says in Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Another way he leads you is through one another. Through one another. He, He uses the loving fellowship, the one another care, encouragement of other Christians in the church to encourage us, to to prod us, to counsel us, to stimulate us to love love and good deeds, to be an example for us in all kinds of ways. And he leads you through faithful preaching and teaching in the church. Jesus is the chief shepherd of the flock, but he has gifted the church with under shepherds, pastors and teachers, to lead and to teach and to equip the flock and care for the flock. The Apostle Peter says to the elders of the church, just like he tells our elders in this church in, in 1 Peter 5 too, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And when the chief shepherd appears, who is Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Shepherd the flock of God. And I emphasize faithful preaching and teaching because when Christians listen to unfaithful preaching and teaching, preaching that ignores or departs from the truth of Scripture and compromises biblical truth, especially when we're hit by waves of cultural pressure, the sheep are not led to God, but they're led astray. And into potentially great spiritual danger, so it's important for us, for all of us, to have our noses in, in the Scriptures so that when we study the Scriptures, we know the Scriptures, we're, we're in it day by day. We learn God's voice so that we can not only know the truth but also spot errors when somebody claims to be teaching the truth. If you're steeped in truth, you you will more easily spot error. Jesus said, the sheep follow him for they know his voice. But when we hear preaching and teaching that doesn't align with Scripture, we run. We don't follow it. We leave it behind and search for faithful shepherds. That's what Jesus says in verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. And I'll tell you one of the things that breaks the heart of God and breaks the heart of pastors is when believers who really don't know the word of God very well start listening to unfaithful bad shepherds who twist the scriptures and abuse the scriptures and start following after bad shepherds. It breaks our hearts. Because they're led into all kinds of compromise and all kinds of doctrinal error and deviation and danger. Jesus says in Matthew 24, see that no one leads you astray. One pastor wisely said that when you're choosing a church, don't choose a church that's closest to your house, choose a church that's closest to the Bible. I think that's really good and wise advice. That's where you'll hear the voice of God. Jesus leads you through relationship. And the third reason Jesus is the good shepherd is Jesus is the way to salvation. Jesus is the way to salvation. Verses 7 to 9. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus now changes the metaphor a little bit. In the first six verses, Jesus is talking about himself as the good shepherd. And now he's introducing himself as the door of the sheep. And the flock in this case now, the flock are only his sheep. He says, if you want to enter the sheepfold, the sheepfold of of God's family, if you want to be my sheep, there's only one way in. You have to enter by the door. And I'm the door. I'm the one way into this sheepfold. Any other messianic pretenders are only thieves and robbers who don't care for the sheep. Jesus is the way to the Father. There is no other door. Enter through him and you'll be saved, saved from sin, saved from hell. You'll experience God's love and forgiveness and salvation. And you'll go in and out and you'll find pasture. You'll find spiritual sustenance in him. Jesus himself makes this crystal clear when he tells his disciples in John 14, 6, later on. He says, I am the way, another one of the I am statements. I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. It leaves no questions. That's about as clear as it can possibly be. Out of the lips of Jesus himself. The Apostle Peter says the same thing when he says with full courage before the chief priest, the the rulers and the elders in Acts chapter 4, he says, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. One name. There's only one name by which we must be saved, and that's Jesus. There's one door. And there's one way to enter that door, and that is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And some people kind of get upset about this, especially in our culture that's just like, we want options, How many ways are there to God? There's got to be a lot of ways, right? Jesus said there's one way. This is not our idea. This is not you Christians. This is God telling us there's one way. And you know what? He didn't have to give us a way. We're responsible for our own sin. He could have just said, you know what? You're all condemned. No way. There's no way. But he made a way because of his love for us. And he he pointed the way in the scriptures. He said, my son is the way. He's the door. Enter through him. Jesus is the way to salvation. And fourth, Jesus is the good shepherd because Jesus gives you abundant life. He gives you abundant life. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He came to give you life, abundant life, life to the full. Do you believe that? There's a pretty good chance that you don't always believe it because you think about your so-called lot in life. We look at ourselves and we look at our circumstances. We look at the people around us. We look at things that are good and not good. We think abundant. We look around and see what others have and what we don't have. Listen, the poorest Christian saved by faith in Christ is far richer than the wealthiest non Christian you will ever know. The poorest Christian saved by faith in Christ is far richer than the wealthiest non-Christian you will ever know. We don't believe it because we reflexively associate abundance with material things. More things. Abundance. More. Lots. Bigger. Better. Gated community. More cars in the garage. European vacations. Whatever comes to your mind. But as a Christian, you have in your soul what they long for. Physical riches are deceitful, Jesus says. It's never enough, right? You get the thing and it's like, it's exciting for a day. And then tomorrow it's like, what else? But spiritual riches are true and real and eternal and satisfying beyond anything on this planet. Paul told the Ephesians, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. What grace? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And it starts with eternal life through faith in Him. You have eternal life. You have everything. What's the worst that can happen to you as a Christian? The worst that can happen to you is you die, right? What's the best that can happen to you as a Christian? You go to be with Jesus, the unsearchable riches of Christ. In the world, there's only spiritual darkness, slavery to sin, captivity to the devil, and so on. And the sad thing is we don't even realize that we're in the darkness until the Spirit of God turns on the light until he opens our spiritual eyes and we realize we've been living for all the wrong things and in Jesus is life and light and flourishing and blessing and providence and in Jesus there's fellowship with God and forgiveness and security and green pastures spiritual sustenance King David says in Psalm 1611, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 73, 25 and 26 about how God himself is everything to him. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The Apostle Paul prayed that the believers in, in Ephesus would have their spiritual eyes opened so that they could see who they are in Christ and, and what they have in Christ. In Christ, you have peace with God. You have joy in the Lord, a place in his family. You have purpose in life, a guaranteed guaranteed inheritance kept in heaven for you by his power. You have a Savior who walks with you through every trial and joy in this life, eternal security in Christ, loving fellowship in the family of God, in the church, power over sin, a rock-solid hope in this life and in eternity. Amen? Jesus gives you abundant life. And fifth, Jesus is the good shepherd because Jesus sacrificed his life for you. Jesus sacrificed his life for you. Starting in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And this is the heart of the gospel. Jesus is looking ahead to the cross here. Sheep are almost completely defenseless. If a wolf or a bear comes running after the sheep and attacks the sheep, what's a sheep going to do? What's he going to do? Any ideas what a sheep's going to do? It's going to like... Bump. Scream real loud. What's a sheep going to do? He's wolf bait. And if a sheep falls down, it needs help getting back up. And sometimes sheep will turn, turn over on their back, you know, like a turtle with their legs like... It, the sheep needs the shepherd to come over and help him back up. Defenseless. And if he's laying there and, and, and can't get up, he is just toast. Shepherding could actually be a fairly dangerous job when predators are around. Because there were bears, there were wolves. But Jesus says the good shepherd is the great savior of the sheep. Your greatest danger is not being attacked or harassed by a wolf or a bear or the devil or persecution or even dying. That's not your greatest danger. Your greatest danger is dying and facing God as your judge. There's no greater danger than that. You and everyone else has violated God's moral commands and if you were to die in that state you would face God as your judge and you would be condemned for all eternity in hell. Jesus died to protect his sheep and that salvation is in Jesus. He laid his life down for you in your place. That's why he came. He came not to be served, but to serve and to to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to absorb your judgment for you on the cross so that you might be saved. He died your death for you. He rose in victory over sin and death for you. He died to protect you, to save you from himself as the judge and that salvation is now offered to you by grace. Apart from any works of any kind, all you have to do is receive it by faith. Trust in Christ fully and only for your salvation. That's all he wants from you. Trust me. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus' death and resurrection for the sheep is the main reason that he is the Good Shepherd. And in Hebrews 13 20, it says that because of his atoning sacrifice, Jesus is called the Great Shepherd of the sheep. He's the Good Shepherd because he laid his life down for you. And the sixth reason Jesus is the Good Shepherd is because Jesus unifies the church. Jesus unifies the church. Verse 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So at the start of John 10, we have the sheepfold, and the sheep in the sheepfold were Jews. And the sheep he called out by name were Jews who trusted in him as Messiah. These were his sheep now. He called them by name and the rest were unbelieving Jews. But Jesus says here that he has other sheep that are not of this fold. Not of the Jews. He's saying that he also has brought salvation to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. He's added them to his flock, his family, in the same way, by grace, through faith in Christ. They will hear the call of Jesus, the call of the gospel, like they did. And they will respond to his voice. One spiritual family, believing Jews and Gentiles united under Jesus, the one true shepherd of the sheep. One church, one flock, from every tribe and language and people and nation united under one shepherd, the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. This is the Good Shepherd. This is why he's good. This is the true shepherd, the chief shepherd, the only shepherd worthy to follow. There is no one who cares for you more than he does. No one. And he will lead you with compassion and care and with faithfulness always, always. So follow him. He is trustworthy, so trust in him. No matter where He leads you, He will always be with you. In Revelation 7, we see this wonderful picture of the martyred saints coming out of the great tribulation at the end and the glory that awaits them and that awaits us as followers of Christ. and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's our good shepherd. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you have sent the good shepherd, your own dear son, because you saw that the the sheep, you saw that we were in great spiritual danger that we needed a Savior. Thank you for loving us, even in our own sin. Thank you for loving us, even when we were ugly in our thoughts and our motives and our behavior, our rebellion. Thank you that you demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our souls, that you would help us to see this Savior as the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. Help us, Lord Jesus, to look to him, to learn to recognize his voice and to follow after him fully and only. Protect us, Lord, from the voice of strangers who spout only lies and deceptions and error. May we follow after the one voice that has the truth and that will always faithfully lead us and care for us and protect us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.